honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Um, the, the biggest chunk of change that I got for the charity was when I snagged Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th hit four years ago at Yankee Stadium. Um, took that ball home with me that night. Got a lot of crap from fans and the media. Definitely said some stupid things in the heat of the moment that fired people up in a negative way. But my intention was not to give A-Rod that ball, but I knew I had to think about it. And the whole charity component became a big factor pretty quickly. And I realized I did want to do something for charity, but it took some time to work out a deal with the Yankees, bring the charity in. Um, and, you know, by the time a deal was worked out, the Yankees were gone on an eight day road trip. So the thing took about two weeks to play out, which pissed people off. I still get accused of holding that ball hostage. Um, <laughs> But the Yankees ended up donating $150,000 to this charity. Awesome. Which has helped, you know, uh, communities all over the world. But in particular, the charity has helped a lot of communities in the South Bronx and in New York around where Yankee Stadium is located. And it wasn't just the money that helped, but this charity was able to create a relationship with the Yankees that is now ongoing as a result of that donation. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Today I had on Zach Hample, a professional baseball enthusiast. If you don't know who Zach is, he chases around baseballs and is probably the one guy that you go to a baseball game and see him catch a, ba- catch a foul ball, a home run, or anything like that. He doesn't do a ton of research behind it. Um, he does it all for charity, and he has an awesome mission, and he has an awesome entrepreneur background. Um, so here we go. So welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast today. I have on Zach Hempel. Um, I am very excited to have you on today. Like I said, um, I've been kind of fangirling Zach here for a couple minutes. So um, I'm just going to have you introduce yourself to anybody that's listening or watching today. Who are you? What do you do? And why do you do it? Well, I have some business cards, I guess you could call them, made up. And on there, it says professional baseball nerd as my title. (laughs) So that kind of encapsulates everything. But I do baseball stuff full time on my own. I'm, I used to work for MLB, but right now it's just it's just me as an individual citizen doing my thing. So YouTube videos is the main thrust behind what I do. But I work with corporate sponsors. I fundraise for a children's baseball charity. I've written three baseball books. I take wow. people to baseball games. I just launched a merch line. So there's like Ooh. all ways that I sort of get into the baseball world and I'm trying to monetize it, but of course do some nice things. And that's kind of how it all comes together. That's awesome. And, um, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, I'm sorry, but you also are an author as well. You've read it, written a couple books. Yeah. Um, three books. Well, the first cool. one's called how to snag major league baseballs. And it's an <laughs> awful book. It is so bad. I wrote it after my freshman year of college before I even declared English as my major. 
But <laughs> you know, it, it got published. It's out there in the world. And then the last two that I wrote are much better, Watching Baseball Smarter and The Baseball. So those are the three. I Everybody's always like, when are you writing another book? And I'm like, I'm not. I feel like <laughs> if I write another book, then I've failed somehow because I've transitioned over to video stuff, which... It makes more money, it gets more eyeballs, it's more fun, it's less stress. And, you know, I mean, I try not to have money dictate everything that I do, but yeah. the reality is that I need to make money. So, yeah, I think for right now, I'm probably taking a nice long break from writing books. I still write, I run a writing group in New York City. Awesome. Um, I blog for years. I wrote over a million words on my blog and never earned a penny for that, just for the love of it. Yeah. Trying all my adventures to baseball stadiums, but writing is definitely stressful, and I, I kind of like going into the video realm now. It's that's a lot better for me. That's awesome. And you mentioned you were an English major and went through college. And um, did you ever see yourself doing what you're doing right now? Yes and no. Okay. Uh, I saw myself playing major league baseball. That was my dream. It's still my dream. And it breaks my heart that open tryouts are for people 25 and under. It's like, oh, let's <laughs> pass that window just barely by a few years. Um, but, you know, when I was having my first book or two published and I got some media attention and then I started blogging and I, I kind of got into this routine and rhythm of putting myself out there, sharing my baseball adventures and people were following along and they enjoyed it. This is well before YouTube. I always thought, you know, if I could somehow do this on a bigger platform, I know it would be successful. People just need to know about me. And I was, I was trying to look for ways that I could write my blog, but instead of on a small blog network that didn't really promote itself that well, like trying to link up with Sports Illustrated for Kids or, you know, some media outlet with a lot of eyeballs. And that it's blown up more than I ever, I guess, not not more than I ever imagined. Because in the back of my mind, I was like, this could be huge. But I, I never really saw the path to get there. And then it happened kind of unexpectedly. And I feel very lucky and fortunate every day that I get to do this. That's awesome. And that's that's the art of the pivot, right? You, you never, I mean, you always wanted to do one thing. Um, but as you started pivoting and looking at those different um, media sources and stuff like that, how, what would be the best lane for you? That's that's awesome. And that's something that um, we do a lot here at Urban Misadventure. So I, you don't even know too much about us. So I will uh, kind of dive into that a little bit. Yeah. So Urban Misadventures is about a year old. Um, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Wisconsin startup. Um, we come from completely different backgrounds, all, all four founders, and now the, the nine staff that we have, we're growing really fast. And um, what's really, really cool uh, about us is that every founder, like I just said, comes from a different background. So myself, um, I'm a huge into sports, just like you. I was a huge baseball junkie, so much that uh, I studied sports management in college, and I said, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to work for the, the Chicago White Sox, my favorite baseball team in the world. I said, I'm going to do this. And then people started telling me in college, they're like, don't work for your favorite uh, professional sports team because you'll grow to hate it. And I was like, what are you talking about? And uh, ended up getting courted by teams all over the place. I mean, the Portland Trailblazers, the New York Mets, the Brooklyn Nuts, really uh, the Miami Dolphins, really everywhere to come help sell tickets for them and help sell corporate sponsorship for them. 
And very quickly, I realized, hey, Milwaukee has something cool here because the Bucks were just building a brand new, shiny new stadium downtown. And money-wise, I'm thinking in the back of my head, this should be an easy sell. Um, well, I was wrong. Uh, a lot of people in Milwaukee actually didn't like the arena. So most of the time I was smiling and dialing, making a hundred calls a day and they all were hanging up on me. I probably got lucky once or twice a day and somebody actually answered the phone and said hi and like gave me a polite no. Every other time was a hang up or a voicemail or something like that. And very quickly I realized, wow, that's, that's why people told me that back in the day. Like, I have so much passion for for the White Sox or for the Chicago Bears or for, I mean, now the, the only thing Wisconsin has taken from me is my Bulls fandom. I am a Bucks fan now, but like now I feel this passion for a team and I would be hurt if these people I'm calling don't feel that same passion. And um, so I, I went through a walk of life in the sports industry, worked for a couple of minor league teams after the Bucks and something was nagging at me saying that it wasn't for me and i decided hey one day i'm 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 just going to quit and i'm going to see what i what's what's out there for me um i fell straight on my face i was fixing bikes at a local bike share um and like city bike and i was uh driving uber eats and i was doing it to pay the bills and see hey what's what's next for me and then my old college roommate, Q, uh, a co-founder in uh, Urban Mist Adventures approached me. He's like, hey, I met these two really creative guys, one of the, or two of the top creatives in Milwaukee, and I have this really cool idea. And the idea was that we were gonna travel around and kind of have this online YouTube TV show where we went around and interviewed local, or not local, but just people like entrepreneurs, influencers everywhere and said, Hey, we're going to do this. And we're going to, we're going to have a really good time doing this. And very quickly we realized there was no money in that. Um, so Brema, um, is another co-founder. He's from Kenya and he, uh, originally from Kenya had to, um, refuge to the Sudan and with the help of the UN uh, moved to Milwaukee and now lives on a rough part of town but he said he'll never move from the rough part of town because there won't be any cool people there when it gets gentrified so when it gets gentrified he wants to be the la one of the last guys there like actually being cool has seen the area grow to what it is in probably 10 15 years um and then Eric Eric's from a suburban town of Milwaukee and what it's really cool that he hasn't seen some of the stuff that Brema hasn't seen, and Brema hasn't seen some of the stuff that I haven't seen. And same thing for Q. And cumulatively, we've come together and we've pivoted to a point where we are now a um, a video story, a storytelling and influencer marketing firm, um, where we essentially we take somebody, uh, whether it's a brand, a company, or an individual, and we say, hey, we're going to help you uh, build influence, and we're going to help you build. Um, a brand and leads through a video. So that's that's us. And now we're accomplishing that that first dream through this podcast, right? We're going around, whether it's through Skype or whether I'm in New York and we just meet up randomly to have a coffee or something, we're finally, we're actually getting to the point where we can go around and interview these people that we found interesting for so long. And that's what's cool about it. Like those pivots and seeing people kind of transform in just a year for me. Um, but now I can't imagine working for somebody else because I've been spoiled for the last year. And it's really cool. Um, and seeing like to pivot into 
what you do and seeing how, um, like you said, you used to work for the MLB and answer to someone, and now you're kind of doing this on your own. What, what's been the biggest thing, like the biggest struggle for Zach at, in trying to, like you said, at the end of the day, you got to make money. What's been the biggest struggle for you? Um, well, from a money standpoint, when I started doing the YouTube videos full time, 2017 was the first year. And I was dipping into my savings to pay for a videographer and travel for two people because my videos are at stadiums. And mm -hmm. sure, I could just go to City Field and Yankee Stadium over and over and over and over and not travel and save a lot of money, but it would feel stale, you know? Those actually yeah. aren't even the most interesting stadiums. If I was going to go to one or two stadiums full time, it wouldn't be those. And so I was uh, losing money the first year, but I saw it as an investment in myself. And 2018 was the first year that it kind of just about broke even. And this is the first year that it's becoming profitable and still not by a wide margin at all, but I see the potential. And there are YouTubers that, you know, I went to actually a YouTube seminar of sorts right in New York City down in the Chelsea market, the same building where Major League Baseball has the umpire review center and the MLB yeah. offices are there and I guess they're going to move soon, whatever. But there's a whole lot of stuff in that building. And there were YouTubers from really all over the world, mostly from all over the country, but there were some people that traveled internationally for this seminar. And I realized that the way I do my videos is more expensive than pretty much anybody else because there, there were a lot of video gamers there that just play at home and film themselves and their screens. There were makeup artists, they film at home. There was a guy who does like a sock puppet show for kids. Who has like a million subscribers. I mean, wow. good for him. It's like, that's not yeah. my, it's obviously, and these people, they're not, they have no production costs at all. Obviously it still takes a lot of time and effort to film it and edit it and promote it. But here I am going all over the country, all over the world. I was in Japan in March. I was in London in June filming videos. Wow. And you know, it's just kind of kills my schedule and my personal life. And I'm spending so much money so that's the challenge for me. And then moving beyond money, the challenge is just finding the right balance between baseball and life. Um, it's, it's really tough to get into any kind of rhythm when I'm home because I, I often don't even unpack fully between trips and I'll be catching up on one trip and preparing for the next one and trying to schedule my writing group and have dinner with my mom and drop by the family's bookstore. And I, I'm usually like, two to four weeks behind on my emails and I have to devote a whole day to answering those. It's just like, I have no life other than baseball during the season. Yeah. And as a result, my favorite time of year is when there's no baseball. Um, I wish the all-star break lasted about five years. I wish the off-season lasted <laughs> about five decades. I mean, it's my livelihood and it's my passion, but it's, uh, it, it can't, I can't sustain it at this pace. So something's going to have to give, um, sooner or later that's my struggle yeah wow that's powerful and it's it's big of you i mean just to just up and say that because a lot of people don't want to uh just come up and say hey this is what i'm struggling with and that's something that um like right now we want to just put out there like hey if there's something you're struggling with maybe i can help you but maybe somebody that i know can help you or somebody that is listening right now can help you with this and or has a recommend or recommendation with this and it's it's really interesting because um, 
all this stuff that you're doing, it's very stressful for you, but everything ties back into uh, your charity work, right? And everything that you're doing uh, through charity. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people, it's funny, um, when I was reading it, uh, reading an article about you not too long ago, um, I, I thought you were literally just going around and catching baseballs. And I didn't know that the actual story behind it until I read a couple articles and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, this is really powerful. And now I understand why, like you, not you, but like there's people that get pissed off when you catch a baseball and don't give it to X person or this little girl, um, but they don't realize that there's actually something going on behind that. Do you want to allude into that a little bit and what you do on the charity aspect? Yeah, sure. This is the 11th season in a row that I've done a fundraiser to help the charity. It's called Pitching for Baseball and Softball. They provide equipment for underserved children and communities all over the world. If communities are too poor to afford equipment for the kids to play, or if there's a natural disaster like a hurricane or a flood that could wipe out an entire equipment storage facility for an entire little league, this charity will step in and provide everything, you know, base sets, uniforms, balls, gloves, bats, equipment, bags, you name it. So I think it's a great cause. Um, before the 2009 season, I just had the idea that it would be nice to give back somehow to the baseball world. And I'd always thought of, you know, these group emails that I get every so often from a friend who's like, I'm doing this walkathon and donate a dollar or five dollars for every mile that I walk. And I thought, what if I make the Major League Baseball season my marathon? And instead of walking miles, I'm catching baseballs. So I get people to pledge money for every ball that I catch over the course of a season. And then that money really adds up and helps this charity. So um, the, the biggest chunk of change that I got for the charity was when I snagged Alex Rodriguez's 3,000th hit four years ago at Yankee Stadium. Um, took that ball home with me that night. Got a lot of crap from fans and the media. I definitely said some stupid things in the heat of the moment that fired people up in a negative way. But my intention was not to give A-Rod that ball, but I knew I had to think about it. And mm -hmm. the whole charity component became a big factor pretty quickly. And I realized I did want to do something for charity. But it took some time to work out a deal with the Yankees, bring the charity in. Um, and, you know, by the time a deal was worked out, the Yankees were gone on an eight-day road trip. So the thing took about two weeks to play out, which pissed people off. I still get accused of holding that ball hostage. Um, <laughs> but the Yankees ended up donating $150,000 to this charity. Awesome. Which has helped, you know, uh, communities all over the world. But in particular, the charity has helped a lot of communities in the South Bronx and in New York, around where Yankee Stadium is located. And it wasn't just the money that helped, but this charity was able to create a relationship with the Yankees that is now ongoing as a result of that donation. So that feels huge. Uh, I was sponsored for a whole season in 2013 by Biggs Sunflower Seeds. They donated a lot of money to the charity as well. And then it's just, other than that, it's been random people's generosity for pledging and donating. So it's over $200,000 raised for this charity over the years. And, you know, when I, when I catch baseballs at games, at this point, I give most of them away. And I usually look at the nearest kid and give it to them. Sometimes I'll give it to a grown-up if there's no kids around. Sometimes, you know, grown-ups will be shouting, give it to the kid. And I'm like, 
that kid has already caught four balls today. And that, <laughs> I'm not giving the ball to that kid, but like I'll look for someone else later. Yeah. So, and even a lot of the balls that I take home, I end up donating to the charity. So I don't think people realize how much is sort of happening behind the scenes. They see me jump and catch a ball and they might get annoyed that I'm not handing it to someone, but maybe I already gave, you know, 10 balls away that day and I just want to keep one for myself. It has a commemorative logo on it or like, so, yeah. you know, I, I try to do the best I can and I realize you can't please everybody. And there are a lot of haters out there. There's a lot of misinformation about me. My own Wikipedia page states that I'm banned from three stadiums, which is not true. I've been <laughs> at every major league stadium each of the last two years, like not banned. I don't know where they got the information. Um, I was, I've, I've been ejected from three stadiums like way back in the day when I kind of got into it more with stadium security, although some of it was definitely unfair, but maybe yeah. a reporter heard the word ejected and changed it to banned. And there's just like a lot of, there's a lot of negative stuff out there that's just not true. So that's something that I have to deal with. The internet is very negative in person. It's extremely positive. Um, you know, I, I probably have more than 10,000 fans every season recognize me and approach me at major league stadiums. Cause I go to 80 or hundred games a year. And if a hundred people approach me per day, that's 10,000 people. And it's, it's way more than a hundred. Like it's, it can be hundreds sometimes every day. And out of 10,000 people, there might be, it's certainly single digits, the number of people who have something nasty to say. So that's a pretty good percentage. And I definitely, I think the more accurate pulse is real life and not the internet. Right, exactly. And it, it's funny. So you, you kind of led the right path for me right now because I was going to chat about like haters right now. Um, and I know I've seen your Twitter feed. I've seen just people attack you, uh, as you mentioned. But on my end, like we create a ton of content on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn has traditionally been this resume platform where, okay, if you want to see a virtual resume, here's my LinkedIn link or something like that. And now uh, LinkedIn is kind of, it, it is turning into this B2B marketing platform, right? So um, in this year that we've been in business, we've been able to not only sustain, but profit very heavily because of LinkedIn. And it's, it's just inbound leads for us all day. We chat about diversity. We chat about just sales tips, stuff like that. And there's still a bunch of people out there that are saying, hey, LinkedIn is not the correct place for this. This belongs on Facebook. This belongs on YouTube. This belongs on here and here because they just want to see the, the resume platform. And we get a ton of hate every day. Um, I mean, just not too long ago, uh, I literally was told that if I want my startup to succeed, I should consider bleaching my skin. And I was like, um, no, uh, I'm all right. But like that much hate. And it's funny because I, my brother, me and my brother have always chatted about Twitter fingers because we, we always said like where we came from, everybody always had Twitter fingers because they would always talk online, but they would never say anything in person. Like you said, in person is so much better because people actually come up to you and anybody who comes up to you wants a genuine, hey, let's have a conversation or let me at least say hi and less of, hey, why did you do that last year to A-Rod or anything like that? And it's, how do you how do you deal with somebody that's 
on the internet just constantly attacking you? Do you just simply block them? What do you do? Um, and what tips can you share with anybody that's listening right now? One of my favorite quotes of all time is from Reggie Jackson, the Hall of Famer, who said, fans don't boo nobodies. And when people are really giving it to me in a nasty way, I, I channel my inner Reggie Jackson and remember that. Um, I've blocked more than 1,500 people on Twitter over the years. Um, but I kind of embraced the haters a little bit. I put out a video maybe last year, uh, basically getting roasted by mean tweets and YouTube comments where I just shared a lot of nasty things that people said, bleeped out the curses. I don't want to lose, you know, monetization or sponsorships by being crude, but so I kind of, I showed it without showing it. And, you know, I responded kind of in a, I thought it was a funny way and people enjoyed that video. It didn't get a ton of views. I thought it would really take off instead. Like, you know, it, it did all right. It seems like the videos of mine that get the most views are me running around baseball stadiums, catching a ton of baseballs. But, you know, some people said, don't give any attention to the haters. That's just going to encourage more of them. Um, I try to ignore some. I respond to some. I block a lot of people. Uh, my YouTube channel has a little feature next to any comment where you can click a little arrow. And, it, and one of the options is um, hide user from channel. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it works like a shadow ban where they don't know that they're banned, right? Ooh, it's, it's okay. like the sixth sense, like the dead people don't know they're dead. They're still walking around. So <laughs> people are still commenting and saying all kinds of BS shows up on their screen, but nobody else will see it. So I've, I've blocked or hidden, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of people on YouTube. Um, and it's not that I can't, take the criticism. It's not like, oh, boo-hoo, like my feelings are so hurt because this person called me, whatever. It's like, no, you just don't get the privilege of interacting with me. So bye. Take yeah. some um, that's, that's kind of how I deal with it. And I try not to get into it too much with people, but sometimes people are just wrong and I have to set the record straight. Like I still get people giving me hate for not giving the ball to A-Rod and I'll just send them a link to the article that shows a picture of me and A-Rod with the ball. <laughs> so it's, uh, that's how I try to deal with it, just sort of a balanced approach. Nice, nice. I love that. And now like, let's get into the baseball aspect. So you, I'm guessing you grew up playing baseball. Did you grow up in New York City? I did, native New Yorker. I was born in Manhattan, still live in Manhattan. Not the easiest place to play ball. No. You know, it's, it's cold half <laughs> the year and you have to get a permit to play on a field. And it's just, it's, yeah, that's why there's a lot of baseball players from Arizona and California and Florida. And there's a lot of land and a lot of warm weather. So New York is tough. Oh yeah. And uh, Mets fan, Yankees fan? I was a Mets fan growing up. But as you can see with this hat right here, it's just the standard MLB logo. I'm really just a baseball fan now rather than a fan of any team. Awesome. Awesome. And then uh, you mentioned that there, those two stadiums wouldn't be your, your, your go-tos. What two stadiums would be your go-tos? I would probably choose Camden Yards in Baltimore and Globe Life Park in Arlington, Texas. Ooh, okay. What do you think about them tearing them down? Or Globe Life, at least. Yeah, I don't think Camden's going anywhere, thankfully. Globe, <laughs> no. Life, Globe Life, I get it. 
you know, we, we've had uh, decades of politicians who don't care at all about the environment and climate change. And so now the world is overheating and they need a roof on their stadium in Texas because it's too hot to play outdoor baseball. So, I mean, I, I understand that, but the stadium, it's only like 25 years old. It's just crazy the amount of money that gets wasted on these ballparks. And it's, it's such an amazing place. It is an underrated stadium. And I'm sad to see it go. Um, that's life. And the new one is going to be sterile in comparison and won't have the charm. But, you know, now teams are putting up protective netting all over the place and not allowing fans to bring backpacks. Yeah. And it's, I, I just really don't like the direction that baseball is going in some ways. I think, I think it's doing a lot of great things. I think the sport is still thriving and wildly popular. But there are certain things that are anti-fan that I really think should be changed. Stadiums that only open their gates 90 minutes early so that fans don't even have a chance to see their own home team players warm up and take batting practice. Yeah. That's not good. So baseball's on the right track in a lot of ways, but I think there's definitely some room for improvement. Oh yeah. And th that's funny you brought that up. So the 90 minutes thing, um, when I was with the Brewers, I interned with the Brewers throughout college. And believe it or not, I was a, a racing sausage, my first internship with them. So um, that was, I was basically Milwaukee famous for a summer. And then my fame went back downhill after I wasn't a sausage anymore. But the Brewers actually just changed that because there were so many people saying, why can't I see the Brewers warm up? I don't understand that. So they just changed it to uh, the away team is now uh, first that gets they get the the field first and then the Brewers get uh, come on um, between like I think they're on for like 15 minutes into that 90 minutes um, or not 15 they're on the field for like 15 minutes as the, the people are coming in so there's people like sprinting to go see like anybody from Braun to Yelich to Kane to most of the time it's literally just Manny Pena just chilling there. Um, but it's funny that baseball has changed that much that my dad talks about it all the time where he would go to Chicago, go to Comiskey at that, at that time. And uh, he would go to Comiskey and he would run into the players. And now it's just this exclusive thing. And it's kind of, it's hurting the fan experience, right? I never got to experience the type of baseball that my dad did. And I'm scared that if I ever have a son um, who would be Israel Lugo the fourth, um, if I ever have a son, will he have the same experience I did or anything like that? So it's weird how things are changing. And it's not just in baseball. It's, I mean, I, I feel like basketball is becoming more sus, like it's more like upfront and I'm, I'm able, like I was at a conference this past weekend with Marvin Bagley and like all these big, I, Allen Iverson was there and stuff like that. And I was like literally two feet away from them. Whereas if Mike Trout walks in right now, I feel like he has ton of security or he's not even allowed at that conference because this baseball rule says this. And there is a lot of changes. And I think Manfred has a lot of good going on, but then also has those very, and type of moments where people are like, what are you, is everything all right? Are you doing the right thing here? So I'm interested to see where it goes in the near future. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think basically with everything you have going, um, there's going to be a ton of people 
that are listening to this that are entrepreneurs or are uh, in, stuck in a job right now they may not like or they they love their job and they're working for the man or anything like that. Um, basically, whenever we have anybody on, we want to ask, we have one question that we ask them and that's, Zach, what makes you strange on purpose? What makes me strange on purpose? Yeah. Or a misfit, how about that? Um, I'm not even sure if I fully grasp the question. You mean, what about me is strange or why am I intentionally strange or like, what? why do you, so essentially more than anything, it's why do you, why do you, why are you Zach? Like why, why is there, why did you lead your own path or pave your own path to, into who you are today? And why didn't you just get a job at, on Wall Street and did what everybody else did? Why are you the way that you are today. How did I end up in the place that I am? Yeah. Gotcha. You know, I've often wondered when I look at baseball players, the most famous ones, what would any one of them, what would they all be doing if they weren't baseball players? I always thought about Manny Ramirez with that question because he wasn't <laughs> the brightest guy, but man, could he hit a baseball. And what if he didn't <laughs> have that one skill in life? What would he be doing? And in a way, I feel like I'm the answer to my own question. What would Zach Hampel have done if he weren't a baseball player? Well, but how did I end up even doing this? You know, it's because I think my dad was a freelance writer slash illustrator. Um, he never had, well, I won't say never. When he was much younger, he had bosses. But from the time I was born, he was already doing his own thing. Uh, never had to answer really to anybody other than, you know, editors and producers and whatever, but he set his own path. My mom and her two sisters own a big old bookstore. So my mom is her own boss. Nice. You know, the store's open from 10 to six, uh, five days a week. And it's open on Saturdays in the colder months. And she's still, she's over 80 years old. She's still there six days a week, quite a bit. She loves it. Wow. So she's very dedicated and responsible and shows up, but she didn't, have to. She did it out of love. And I guess I just never grew up in a house where people were complaining about their jobs and their bosses, and they kind of did their own thing. And I guess as for me, it definitely helps that, you know, I never really struggled like crazy for money like a lot of people do. I always had the safety net of the family bookstore to fall back on if other things didn't work out. Like you mentioned that you were fixing bicycles and driving for Uber Eats. You know, for me, it was like, well, I, I can work at the bookstore, which is definitely an interesting place. I love it, but it's not my ultimate passion. And so that allowed me to take more chances creatively and professionally. And if I needed to take months off or a year off to write a book, um, I could still just work at the store at my own pace you know, I could kind of do my baseball thing during the season and then work at the store in the off season. Or if I wanted to work at the store until three in the afternoon and then take off for batting practice at one of the stadiums, I could get away with that. And they, you know, they would just pay me for the hours that I was there. So I think that definitely helped not having to really worry about money in the same ways as most other people. And I've had friends tell me that, you know, if I, if I had to, 
and, and they're right that if I had to work normal jobs like most other people, that you know, Zach Hample would never have become Zach Hample. Um, yep. You know, I was obsessed with reading box scores and baseball stats when I was little, the backs of baseball cards. And I've often wondered, what if I had been obsessed with the stock market? And what if I was <laughs> pouring over financial data when I was little? I mean, I would 100% be a billionaire right now, but I feel like I would have had so much less fun along the way. But instead, baseball hooked me and I never fought it. Um, you know, I, I again, I feel like I'm almost fighting it a little bit now because it's become it's become too big. And I need to take that and carve out more time for myself to do. I think that's important for the longevity of it. I've heard that YouTuber burnout is a real thing after three or four years. And this is my fourth year doing it, third full year doing it. And it's it's a lot. And I don't I don't want people to think that I'm complaining, but I'm just giving a straight up answer. Like this is, yeah. it's, uh, you know, I don't have to show up for a boss anywhere ever. I don't set an alarm clock ever, unless I'm waking up for a flight or going to an early baseball game. But last night I was editing a video until 1am and you know, I, I'm the number of YouTube comments and Instagram comments and tweets and emails that I answer sometimes hours a day at all hours of the night, you know, I pick up my phone and the first thing I do is like, let me answer people. So in a way that's considered work. And so it's, it's kind of nonstop, but it is also at my pace, but I got to find that balance. So that's kind of the whole story of how I came to be and just thinking about how I can shape this moving forward and make it sustainable while being successful. And, you know, I could probably use about 10 assistants, but nobody's going to do as good of a job as I can. And so it's, it's just me, a one-man show for right now. And I've hired editors and I have videographers, but as far as the nitty-gritty of it all, it all comes down onto my shoulders and it's a lot. Wow. Yeah, that's a powerful answer. And I, I love that. And I love that you've been so open and I appreciate you jumping on. I just want to ask one more question. It was actually asked to ask, uh, asked of me to ask you this question. And do you have a ball? that is the ball that got away in any point that maybe hit off the top of your glove, anything like that? Do you have something that comes to mind immediately or is it kind of all just there? Um, you remember each one or anything like that? I have a lot of them that got away. Um, the biggest is probably Derek Jeter's 3000th hit. Oh, wow. Uh, I was pretty much in that exact spot for his first at bat. Um, there were a couple empty seats right in the corner out by the bullpen in left center field. And I knew the security guard there. He was like, yeah, you can just hang out here. And then the people showed up for those seats. So I took off and I went to the infield to just try to get a closer view from standing room just to see the 3000th hit. And Jeter ended up hitting number 3000 within, I would say about five to 10 feet from where I'd been standing, but there was a little space behind the last row, which was just wide enough for you to sort of shuffle sideways through it. And the, if I had been standing there and the guard told me later that you could have still stood in the back even when those people came, I would have let you. I could have shuffled over a few steps. And if I had thought quickly enough to step up on the back of a seat, and then reach or jump, I would have caught the ball. 
Um, it, it went over that last row of seats. It was probably about, you know, anywhere from like nine to 12 feet high over the ground there. So with my glove, I can, I can jump and get more than nine feet high. I still have pretty good hops. But if I had climbed on the seat, I definitely would have been high enough. So that was a catchable ball. And sure, I was like 200 feet away from it when it was hit, but that, that was there for the taking if I played it right. Albert Pujols' 2000th RBI, I was just in Detroit a couple months ago, picked the right section and everything, and he just blasted over my head into the empty seats. Should have been playing farther back. I mean, I don't really drop them too often. Yeah. I, I do every now and then, but I tell myself, look, even the best Hall of Fame gold glover is still going to drop balls from time to time. But yeah. I mean, I played college ball. I, I set a world record for catching a baseball drop from the greatest height more than 1,000 feet from a helicopter. So it's like... If I'm there, I'm going to catch it. That's not the issue, unless just something weird happens or I space out. But, like, I'll catch them. I have no doubt in my ability. So the ones that get away are not me making errors physically. It's just it's just bad positioning. Yeah. Um, you know, just even deciding to stay home from a game because it's rainy or because I'm tired or because it's going to be crowded and they're they're not going to hit anything. And then... They hit a ball exactly to where I would have been, and it's an important home run, and the player would have wanted it back. And, I mean, just recently, Edwin Encarnacion hit his first home run as a member of the Yankees right to my seat at Yankee Stadium. And I decided not to go that night because it was rainy. Ah, oh, there's not going to be batting practice, and it's going to be tough to catch balls. And I'm sitting there watching on TV, and it's empty because it's rainy. And the whole game, I'm just watching, like, please, nobody hit a ball to my spot. And... Edwin did it, and just stuff like that drives me crazy. I can't even watch highlights anymore on ESPN or the MLB Network because I've been to every stadium so many times, and, you know, when I'm there, they barely ever hit baseballs to me, but then when I'm home and they're showing home runs, it's like, of course they hit one right to my spot. It's just like, it drives me absolutely crazy. And, you know, um, people, people just don't get it. They, it's like, there'll be a home run hit and people will be like, well, that was cool to see that. And I'm like, no, I'm upset because I didn't catch it. It's like I have a totally different perspective. And I guess I'm kind of spoiled in some ways, but, you know, I'm just not satisfied being a spectator. I want to be a participant. And that can cause a lot of frustration, but a lot of exuberant, really happy moments, just the highs and the lows emotionally. And now I almost feel like my success in catching baseballs is directly connected to my success as a YouTuber, and it's uh, it's a lot of pressure, but it's fun pressure. But as you can see, I absolutely drive myself crazy thinking about this stuff. So once again, I have to try to take a step back and have a more level-headed approach to it all. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'm sorry you missed out on Jeter, and I'm sorry. I, I hope nothing but the best in the near future. And I think what's cool about everything that you have going is the the charity aspect and that you're not just doing it to do it you're doing it to have an impact on people that don't really have much or might not have much for a considerable amount of time and just implementing that baseball aspect is so huge it saved my life it saved plenty of other people's lives and i think uh 
as as time goes on and you start meeting more of these these people that went through those charities or that charity actually impacted you're going to have nothing but amazing stories to tell and i i look forward to the day that you maybe you put that on your youtube or something like that so i appreciate you jumping on with us i'll keep you for one minute after but zach thank you for uh, being on strange on purpose my pleasure really really good talking to you great questions nice to get into some interesting conversations for sure thank you